am Rodney and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thank you, Rich, for asking me to speak. I'm excited to talk about the tradition. Um, before I do that, I just wanted to say something personally. Um, it was eight years ago in July that I, I was dragged somewhat reluctantly to my first Atlantic Group meeting. Um, and I've never left since. And I just have to thank a friend of mine who's on this meeting tonight, um, Alfredo, thank you for changing my life. All right, now to, to get to the tradition, um, uh, the first Tuesday of each month uh, here at the Atlantic Group, we talk about the tradition whose number is associated with the number of the month. So it's July, the seventh month. And here I am to talk about the seventh tradition, which states every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. And just for fun, I'm going to read the long form, which is a bit more expansive. The AA groups themselves ought to be fully self-supported by the voluntary contributions of their own members. We think that each group should soon achieve this ideal, that any public solicitation of funds using the name of Alcoholics Anonymous is highly dangerous, whether by groups, clubs, hospitals, or other outside agencies, that acceptance of large gifts from any source or of contributions carrying any obligation, whatever, is unwise. Then too, we view with much concern those AA treasuries, which continue beyond prudent reserves to accumulate funds for no stated AA purpose. Experience has warned us that nothing can so surely destroy our spiritual heritage as feudal disputes over property, money, and authority. So um, there's a lot of history behind this tradition, which I, I'm not going to go into in too much detail. Um, it, you know, I, I would highly recommend the, the chapter in the 12 and 12 that talks about it. It gives a really full uh, full background behind it, and also this this uh, pamphlet, which is AA Traditions, how it developed, is also a really good source of information. Um, but I, you know, I can sum it up what it says in the twelve and twelve with this quote. It says, "Whoever pays the piper is apt to call the tune," uh, which you know. Basically, AA doesn't accept contributions from outsiders because they don't want to be beholden to to outsiders. Uh, AA is supported by its members, and they are responsible to us um, to keep, you know, AA going. Um, you know, and it, as I think about my history and early sobriety, you know, obviously I didn't know anything about the traditions and frankly didn't really care. Uh, you know, it's so me focused. But when the, the basket would be passed around, I always would throw in a dollar because I didn't want to be seen not throwing a dollar in the basket. You know, so it was all about appearances. Um, and, I, you know, I never really gave a thought to, to what it meant. Um, and then <clears throat> I'd sit in business meetings and, at, you know, at, at the end of the year, they would talk about the excess funds that a group, our group had, not this group, but in the past, our groups. And um, they talk about, you know, sending sending out our excess funds to, you know, GSO, to intergroup, to whatever. And, you know, I'd be thinking, what? Why are we sending our money, our group's money, to the to these GS what? I don't even know what that is. And I mean, the the, the fact is, you know, that was just, of course, I was early sobriety, highly self-centered, and also just ignorant. <clears throat> What I didn't know then, and I'm, I'm fortunate to know now through talks like this and through attending our Step and Tradition meeting on Friday, is that um, the money thrown into the basket is is much more. It's you know it's much more than about paying paying the rent on our meeting space or paying for coffee. Um, you know I, you know AA is more than just meetings. It's the service structure below the meeting level that supports us. Um, the money we throw into the basket, and, and you know, today we use a virtual basket, um, it's not meant only to support our meetings. It's meant to support the work of AA itself. Um, and I didn't know that then. Um, oh, so, um, so then I, I have to ask myself, well, what is this, what exactly is the service structure doing for us? You know, what am I getting for my money? My money, again, self-centered to the extreme. Um, so if you Google AA or you look in a phone book, if you can happen to find such a relic and you look at AA or um, 
you're online and you're, you, you know, you've Googled it, you'll be taken to perhaps AA.org. Well, AA.org is run by GSO. And, uh, you know, if you call information, again, a relic of the past, in the past, if you would have called, they would have given you the number to AA Intergroup, where you would have called somebody and they maybe would have directed you to your first meeting or just listened to you. Got it, timekeeper. <laughs> Five minutes. Um, and, and just to be specific, um, these are some of the things that, uh, that GSO does. They coordinate the translation of the big book. They respond to 90,000 emails, letters, and phone calls from members, suffering alcoholics, professional students, the press, and those interested in AA. They help people find AA meetings, and they support the start of AA in countries where there are no meetings. Uh, they, again, run, as I said, they run and maintain AA.org, which is a wealth of information and resources if you haven't been there. Um, and they publish and distribute AA literature and pamphlets like this. Uh, New York Intergroup, I mean, I, you know, I imagine a lot of us on here have had exposure to New York Intergroup um, and, and what all the wonderful things they do. They respond to calls. They respond to cor uh, correspondence. They carry the message into treatment centers, prisons, and shelters. They facilitate bridging the gap, which helps alcoholics transition from institutions to meetings. And they maintain our meeting list, our meeting book. Um, so, you know, these, these institutions, uh, they support AA, and they, they deliver, if you will, AA they deliver out suffering alcoholics to our meetings so we can help them. So what they do for us is vital. And so it's, you know, and again, they don't, they don't accept outside contributions. And if you go to AA.org to make a contribution, um, it, it says clearly on there, uh, in keeping with AA seven tradition of self-support, we accept contributions only from AA members. And you, and you actually have to check a box acknowledging that you are a member of AA to make a contribution. So what that tells me is that it, it's my duty as a member and, and it's our duty as a group to support them. Um, and, you know, we do that in, in a variety of a variety of ways. We have our anniversary contributions each month uh, that we uh, split 75-25 between GSO and Intergroup. And at year end, we distribute uh, all of our excess funds to, to these institutions. Um, but, you know, and that's great. And I'll say, like, last year I can tell you that as a group we contributed in excess of $20,000 to these to these entities. But, you know, that which is great, but, but you know, that's not enough. They're suffering right now. Um, in May, GSO announced that they had drawn down on their prudent reserve. Contributions are down and literature sales are down because, I don't know if you know this, we're in a pandemic which, you know, has hit everybody hard. And I totally, I, I, I get that. People are struggling. Um, but we need AA and we need intergroup there so that people can still find us in this time when we're separated uh, and we can't have in-person meetings. We rely on the Zoom, the Zoom um, account of AA intergroup for this very meeting structure on Zoom. On Zoom. So, you know, it, it's, 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 it's really, it's, it's really, it's become very clear to me, actually, how important they are. I mean, I've, I've got time now, I've, I've had experience, and I've learned a lot um, about AA and how it works. And I, I just feel like it's very important. Um, and, you know, truthfully, um, Attendance at our meetings um, since we've been isolated has been up, which I think is amazing and awesome. Um, and we get visitors from all over the country and all over the world. Um, but but contributions are down. So I got the one minute. Thank you, Liam. Um, contributions are down. Um, in fact, in a meeting like tonight, which right now we're at 352 participants, but typically our Tuesday meetings have about 400 people. Of those 400 people, only about 50 actually contribute via Venmo. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not trying to lay a trip on anybody. I'm just saying um, that remember, well, for me, I, I have to remember where I came from and, and what has given me the life that I have today, and that's AA and, and 
in all of its its glory. Um, and so it's you know important for me to support it because I have nothing without it. And that is my time. I thank you for listening and thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you very much, Rodney. And our second 10 minute speaker is Joanne. Hey everybody, I'm Joanne, I'm an alcoholic. I'm really excited to be here tonight to speak for my home group. My sponsor just texted me, there's only 350 people here. Totally fine. Uh, yeah, so I'll just get right into it. I only have 10 minutes. Um, my sobriety date is October 1st, 2019. Romantic group is my home group. I have a sponsor, her name is Claire. And I work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, if you're new, if you're counting days, if you're just coming back from a relapse, welcome. You're in the right place. This place is awesome. AA saved my life and changed my life completely. Um, you know, I started drinking young. I was 15. My first drink was also my first drunk. Um, I went to my friend's house for New Year's Eve. Her parents were going to be away at work all night. Uh, she busted out a bottle of champagne. She poured us each a glass. I drank it, and then I took the bottle, and I drank the bottle. Um, it didn't end well. You know, I knocked over a vase in her house. I was just reckless. She had me sit out in the stoop um, to wait for her parents to come home, who went ahead and called my parents, and my dad came and picked me up, and terrible hangover, just a lot of shame and embarrassment, but that didn't stop me. Um, what I didn't realize until I came into AA, really, and I heard other people talking about it, I always felt different. You know, I always felt different, even in my own family. Um, I'm one of eight kids, and I just always felt like, you know, unless I had special treatment or, you know, special provisions or whatever, like, I just didn't feel, like, good enough. You know, I needed to, to have that extra stuff. Uh, recently, I was talking to my older brother. I was able to make amends to him, which I'll get to later. Um, and he told me, you know, I always knew there was something a little different about you, Joanne, because your temper tantrums were just a little bit more intense than everybody else's. You know, when I didn't get my way, I just wasn't okay with that. Um, and I was always very sensitive, and I was scared of everything, and I didn't realize it. And um, when I took that drink, though, I didn't care. You know, I was just free. And um, it felt good, you know, and it, I didn't forget that. And it took a while, but... Um, I started just, you know, drinking on the weekends with friends and stuff like that. Um, and then I started to misbehave and, you know, I eventually got kicked out of a couple of high schools. I wasn't going to class because I just wanted to go drink and hang out. Um, and it, it took a, a long while for um, other consequences to really hit me to the point where it made me surrender and, and come into AA. But I'm... The unmanageability in my life just showed up in, you know, all my relationships were very tumultuous, short-lived, unhealthy. Um, I went through jobs constantly, not even so much that I was getting fired, but I just, if something didn't go my way, I would just walk out. You know, I couldn't handle anything. I didn't know how to handle my feelings. I didn't know how to face life. I didn't know how to deal with life. Um, and then... The weekend warrior thing turned into, I would start doing it on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, Sunday. It turned into, I was drinking every single day. And then the consequences really started showing up. Um, 2011, I was finally fired from my first job. I was there for three years. Um, and my, you know, I went to work and I did what I had to do because, you know, I needed to support myself. And drugs are a part of my story and I needed to support drinking and drugging at the time. So my boss said to me, your work ethic is great, but your attitude and your behavior is just crazy. Like, we can't keep you. And they wanted to. Um, and at that point, I wasn't paying bills. You know, I didn't pay my rent, my car note, my phone bill, everything, credit cards. And I became homeless at that point. Um, that started off in such insanity. Um, I did the whole psych ward circuit. I was in tons of detoxes, rehabs. 28-day rehabs, crisis centers, halfway houses, you name it, long-term recovery. And I just, I couldn't stop because I didn't know how. And I just thought that, you know, at, at points I didn't want to stop. That was all I knew was to drink and run away from life. Um, things started getting really dangerous for me. I started hanging out with really dangerous people, um, getting myself into really dangerous situations. And... Um, 
I'll fast forward. So it was seven years of just hell. You know, I did geographics, you know, um, I heard a lot of people in that process. I used a lot of people and, um, it wasn't until 2018. I was in my second detox before I got there though. I was seeing a psychiatrist at the time. And she said to me, she's like, you're going to die. She's like, I am no longer prescribing medication for you effective immediate, immediately. You need to go to detox. I'm meeting in my office at three and I'm going to walk there. And at that point, like, I just wanted five minutes. Thanks, Liam. Um, at that point, I had no other options. Like, I just didn't even want to live. And my life was just completely in shambles. So I did it. You know, it was more kind of like to appease her. But something happened in that detox. Um, I cried for the first time in years. It was like I broke down, you know, and my heart kind of opened up a little bit. And AA meetings were coming in. And I finally, it's like my ears opened up for the first time. And I heard what, what people were sharing and what, what they were saying. And I, I identified for the first time. And I said, you know what, you know, I definitely know I have a problem. I definitely know I'm an alcoholic. But I didn't even understand what alcoholism meant. So they gave me a copy of uh, the big book, a small copy. And it said, read the doctor's opinion. And there I learned about the allergy, that I have an allergy to alcohol, that when I take a drink, I have the phenomenon of craving and I want more and I can't stop and I don't know when I'm going to stop and I don't care what the consequences are I need to have the next one but so when I got out of the detox I had I was at a crossroads and I knew like I could go right back to whatever life that was and I knew I was going to die if I, if I went back and I said or go to an AA meeting and in the book someone had circled 79th street workshop that happened to be the meeting I went to that day and I started going every day and I raised my hand I told them who I was and I said my day count and you know people came up to me and they and they welcomed me and they told me I'm in the right place and that, that they're gonna help me they want to help me and that's all of us here tonight want to help you too if you're counting days and you're new that's why we're here you know what I mean you're in a safe place um, and from that point forward I, I found well a sponsor found me and I started working with her and I wish I could tell you that I surrendered right away, that I got it right away, that I never had another drink, but that's not the truth. And the reason why is because I was kind of doing the program in my own way. I didn't I didn't really get honest, right? And I relapsed several times. I counted days a lot of times. And um, uh, I decided to start working with a new sponsor. And she said to me, like, look at this as a completely new experience. This is like a clean slate, you know what I mean? And I did that. And I started to go through the book with her and I started reading the steps and working the steps. And I started really getting honest. You know, I got honest with another person for the first time in my life. And, you know, all the stuff I was ashamed of that I had done in my past, all the stuff I was afraid to admit to anybody or even to myself, like I was able to do that. And, it, you know, my sponsor was very kind and very, she was not judgmental. And it was like, once I got through that, like everything really changed, you know? Um, and I was able to see, like, I'm being taken care of here. Like, I'm okay here. Like, I'm going to be okay if I keep doing this thing. And, uh, I was able to make amends to people from, that I heard in my past. I was able to make amends to all my siblings. I was able to make amends to a lot of friends that I'd hurt, you know? And it's like, when I finally got honest, when I finally was able to really honestly look at my past and do it with the help of another person, understanding person, as well as you guys in the room, and start really talking about how I'm feeling and what's going on with me. Like, I realized I'm not alone. There's a lot of support here. And through that, I was able to find um, a higher power of my own understanding. And every day I pray and meditate, you know what I mean? I read a little spiritual literature. I make a meeting every day, I pull other alcoholics, um, I just do all the stuff that we do here, you know, and this service commitments, like this group in particular really taught me about service, you know, showing up, suiting up and showing up. And no matter what I'm feeling or what's going on, you know, I do what I got to do. And I was never able to show up in my life before. And anytime anything got rough, I ran away from it. And in this program, I found courage basically in one minute to, to just accept myself and love myself give myself and forgive others, you know, and so much joy in life now is peace. You know, I can look at, look myself in the mirror. Like I don't have to run away from me or anybody else anymore. 
And it's such a gift. It's like this program is amazing. I don't even think about drinking anymore. I don't even think about it. Through this whole quarantine, I've been here in my apartment by myself, but I am not alone. I have all of you guys. I have God. And it's amazing. Just if you're new and you're, and you're or you're just coming back or you're counting these, please stay. Please don't give up. That's the only thing I did right is I didn't give up. Give yourself a chance to give this program a chance and you'll be amazed. Thanks for letting me share my time is TJ. Uh, my name is TJ. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And uh, wow, wow. Uh, this is this is quite a group. I mean, there's a lot of jobs you can have here. There's uh, good stuff. And uh, I'm impressed with all these people, all these beautiful faces staring back at me from cyberspace. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And before I start, I, I gotta I gotta say to Rich, I have an amends to make to Rich. I lied to Rich yesterday. When he told me about the jacket and tie thing, I lied and I said I didn't have one. I did. I just didn't want to put it on. But I gotta say thanks because I'm like, I clean up pretty good, man. It's been a long time since I've had a jacket and tie on. I'm like, oh, I look all right, man. I might have to do this more often. So. Uh, Thanks, Rich, uh, and, and thanks for asking me. And uh, and thanks, Rodney, for your for your seven step thing. And, and thanks for for giving people a little bit of a hard time about not to donating. Now, we're having the same group about the same problem in my home group, the Valhalla group. And uh, and uh, people need to get kicked in the butt a little bit. Like, come on, man, this saved your life. This saved my life. We got to make sure that uh, that that uh, that we give back. You know, we give back. When I think about how much money I used to spend on an average weekend, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, I had long weekends. I had long weekends. Uh, you know, be between the booze and the and the and the powder and the, and the other substances, it's like, come on. It's so important that AA, that GSO is here, it stays here and is here for for everyone else. I'm so grateful that you guys were here when I stumbled in like a, a raving lunatic and you were all here and, and uh, you put your arms out and you knew what to do with me. And I also want to thank Joanne for, uh, for, uh, for amazing story. And I really appreciated it. A lot of identification. I, there's only seven in my family. So I felt a little bit of envy there. She had, she had one more. So, but, uh, but thanks Joanne for sharing. And uh, it was great to hear you. And I also want to give a big shout out to all 25 newcomers, 25 days 25 people counting days in the pandemic, you know, and Amit and Alushka, I love that Alushka and, and Kim and Alberto and Robert and Kristen and all those Chris's, you know, keep coming, keep coming. And if, and if you're coming back, I don't have to tell you, you know, this is the real deal. This is the re the reason why you're coming back is because you know, this works. You screwed up. You stopped going to meetings or you didn't call it, whatever you did, you screwed up, but you know, this works. And so you're coming back. But but if you're new and it's your first time, especially, you know, keep just come, just come, just keep coming and do it one day at a time. And, and you know, amazing, amazing shit's going to happen to you. It's it's just out of it's it's amazing what's going to happen. And I know, you know, I, I, when I first started coming to meetings and, and uh, you know, I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is what my life has come to. Oh, my God. I, these church basements with these, my, my buddy Phil says, with these tambourine banging holy rollers, oh my God, this is what my life has come to. And, you know, I, I was in my 20s. I'm, I'm a Bronx Irish Catholic kid. I was in my 20s and, 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 I, and, I, and you know, I, I started coming to meetings because because I was desperate. I was desperate, you know, uh, and, and, and I thought, oh my God. Yeah, it can't be, can't be, and uh, and so I, I so I went back out and again and again and again. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm so I am so grateful for AA. I'm so I'm so grateful that I'm sitting here. What do what do people do in the pandemic who don't have this? What do they do? I, I don't know how they get through it. I'm sitting here looking at hundreds of faces and a, and a, and a big time shout out. I was at my one of one of my regular meetings. It's a five fifteen meeting. And uh, I mentioned that I was speaking here tonight and I, I'm looking at a bunch of my friends who, who, who came over and my sponsors here and, 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 and his sponsor and, and a lot of people 
in my sponsor lineage are here. Jimmy Mack, I'm looking at you right now, Jimmy Mack. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I was talking to my boy Conroy in San Diego. And uh, I see Conroy is here and a whole bunch of my San Diego friends. Quincy, you look amazing, Quincy. It's so good to see you. Uh, and, and, and it's, a, it's you know, I, I came to L.A. To, to LA. I, I did go to L.A., but I came to A.A. and I was alone. I was alone. There was nobody left in my life. And I felt alone. And I had felt alone my whole life. I, I was born alone, and and, uh, and I and I and I, I come to AA, and, and I just put my head down and keep plugging along. And the people in my life are amazing today. I, my life is full of amazing people, people I never would have met, people I never would have hung out with, I never would have talked to, uh, and and they're people I love and, and and adore, and who call me and and show up for me. And it's an amazing thing, you guys who are coming around and counting days. It's amazing what's going to happen in your life if you do this, if you just do it, you know, you know, and, and I, I will say getting sober was the hardest thing I ever did. Staying sober is not that hard, but getting sober was an amazing, just hard. I had to change everything, uh, but, but it was so worth it. So quickly, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into a, 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 a big drunk a lot. You know, I started drinking like all my pals did in my teens, in my early teens. I love to drink. I love to drink. I was a good drinker. I mean, I was a big kid, and, and from an early age, I could drink. I mean, I was 14, and I was drinking. You know what I'm saying? And, and the drinking age was 18 at the time. And, and you know, in, in, in my neighborhood in the Bronx, there was a ton of gin mills and saloons. Every other store on Broadway from 225th Street to 228, 242nd Street, it was, a, it was a saloon, a gin mill. And they were named names like the Killarney Rose or the Lakes of Sligo or, or P&Ks. Or, you know, and and, and I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait from an early age. I couldn't wait to smoke cigarettes and to be in the bars. I couldn't wait. I was an alcoholic waiting to happen from day one. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so, and, and, and by the time I was 14 or 15, I, I was six foot tall and 200 pounds. And, and, and I was in the bars and I thought, wow, I, I, you know, I'm good. I'm, I've made it. And, and, and I, and, you know, and alcohol for me was a salute, was the solution. Cause like I said, from an early age, I was alone. I felt alone. I felt like alone in a crowd and I, and I was always very sociable and very socially appropriate. And I could, you know, I go, Hey, how are you? Good to see you. How you doing? How's the Yankees? How about those Yankees? Hey, how are you? But nobody knew me. No, I, I was alone. And, and I was surrounded by people. I was all, I made sure I was surrounded by people because it made me feel a little less alone. Uh, it, it, but, but I was alone. And, 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 and also, you know, it was the seventies and eighties in the Bronx. And I had a big secret. I had a big secret that made me different from everyone. And that secret is I knew, I knew by the time I was 13 or 14 that I was gay. And, and this is the Bronx in the seventies and eighties. It's not like it is today, you know? There was nowhere to go with that. There was nowhere to be. And it wasn't called gay. It was called faggot. It was called queer. It was called punk. And, and there was nowhere where to go with that. And I knew that no one could ever know that about me. No one could ever know that about me. I could not let. And if, and if I thought you thought that maybe I was, I had to hit you or something. Because there's no way. And, and so, so when I picked up a drink, I felt like I could breathe. For the first time, I see you, Greg. You took off, Greg took off his tie. Can I take off my tie? Greg took off. <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, so when I picked up a drink, I could breathe, and it was my solution. And I ran with it. And I ran with it. And and uh, and it worked. It worked for a while. It really did. It worked well. You know, I, I, I could drink as much as the big boys at an early age. I love drinking. I love, you know, I heard people say all the time, I hated the taste, but I love what it did for me. I love the taste. I love the taste of doers. I just love that funky, nasty iodine taste. I love Bacardi's rum. I, I love Gordon's vodka. I love Heineken's and Beck's. And I, I loved it all. I loved it all. And, and I ran with it. And it worked for a while. And, and, you know, when I, when I first got here, I heard people saying that their, their drinking career was in three stages, fun, some fun, and no fun. And I get that because that's exactly my, my story. 
and but I but I but I was having fun, and I wasn't suffering too many consequences, and and I was always able to clean up and shower and show up the next day, and 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 I and I was pulling it off, uh, and 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 uh, but then they started to be the some fun phase, and there were consequences, but I was still having fun. Uh, so it was worth it. So it was worth it. So I dropped out of school. So so I uh, I took a job. Uh, you know, I, I took whatever job was available, and, and I worked in bars, and I drove cabs, and and and, and uh, but I was having fun, so it was <laughs> worth it. And then the the last couple of years of my drinking was the no fun state. I, mean, I heard somebody say at a meeting recently, when I could quit, I didn't want to, and when I wanted to quit, I couldn't. And, 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 oh, man, did I feel that because that's, you know, for, for a long time, people were saying to me, TJ, you need to watch out with your drinking. You need to slow that down. You're a little bit, you're just a little bit. And, and I, I said, oh, you know what, if I, if I want to quit, I can, but I don't want to quit. And, and then I got to the no fun stage and I wanted to quit and I couldn't. And, and, and it started to scare me. It started to scare me, you know, and, and, uh, at, at this stage, uh, you know, at this stage, I, I, I had lucked into a basically stumbled into a civil service job. I had taken a test. I had no, I've no, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I'd stumbled into a civil service job and, and, uh, and it, you know, wasn't heavy lifting and I could do it and the pay wasn't bad. And so I was like, I'm okay here. And, and it, it, you know, it was, it was a, it was a civil service job where everyone drank, everyone drank like me. So I was like, this is good. You know, and, uh, and so I was, I was, I was, you know, I was okay. And, 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 but now the, the, the drinking was starting to get in the way and, uh, the, the no fun phase was, was waking up almost every morning saying, I've got to stop this drinking. I got to stop this drinking. I got to do something about this drinking and, 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 and being determined. I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And, and for some, a few days, maybe in a row, I, I could do that. Maybe, you know, two or three days, you know, as long as I spoke weed all day long, uh, I, I could, uh, I could not drink. But by the third day or the or second day of the third day, you know, my head was saying, well, that wasn't that bad. You know, that wasn't that bad. And I'll be okay. And somebody at work or somewhere else would say, T, have a, have a drink. And I'd go, no, 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 no. And the next thing you know, I was drinking and, 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 and I was off to the races. Uh, and, and the last couple of years of my drinking, I started making the rounds of AA meetings. I started making the rounds. Of, I found out wherever there's lots of bars and there's lots of drinking, there's lots of AA meetings. And there was an AA meeting in every church, in, in, in every synagogue, in every space in my neighborhood, there was an AA meeting. And I started making, making the rounds of AA meetings. You know, and, and you know, and I'm, that's why I'm I'm uh, I'm appreciating the newcomers. And I started making the rounds of AA meetings, and I thought, and and I and I and I and you know, I, I was desperate. Uh, I was getting real close to losing my job. Uh, I have a lot of yes. I have a lot of yes. I still had a job, but it's anyone who works in civil service knows it's kind of hard to lose one of those jobs. But I was getting real close, and. Uh, you know, the, the deal was TJ's a good guy, but sometimes he doesn't come back from lunch, like on a regular basis. And, and, and he misses a lot of Fridays and some Mondays too. And, you know, he's a great guy when he's here, he works hard and he's, and he's fun, but, but he's not here a lot. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it was starting, they were starting to get wise to me and, and, uh, I was living in deathly fear that they would ask me to pee in a cup because if they asked me to pee in a cup on any given day, there were enough illegal substances in my urine to, to probably get me arrested. So I still had a job. I still had an apartment. I had an apartment in the Bronx, uh, but I hadn't paid my rent in four months. And, and uh, Jimmy, the, the big Albanian super was looking for me and he was a really scary dude. And so I was walking up and down the stairs and not taking the elevator because I didn't want to run into Jimmy because uh, I didn't have the money. And uh, Con Ed was turning off my lights all the time because, you know, I have every good intention of paying my Con Ed bill. But, uh, you know, on the way to Con Ed, I passed by a bar and I, I 
and I didn't pay my bill. Uh, you know, I, I still had a car, but it wasn't insured, you know, and, and uh, it, had, it was running on Maypop tires. You know, those tires that will pop at any time, that may pop at any time, those kind of tires. I mean, I was hanging on by, by, by my fingertips. I was hanging on by my fingertips, and I was desperate, and I couldn't stop drinking, and I was scared, and I was throwing up blood, and I thought, oh, my God. I, oh my God! And so I started going to meetings. I started going. To, I started. I started making. My my first sponsor used to say, "You you loiter with intent." I would loiter at meetings, uh, and you know, and I was the guy who would show up at the meeting, and and I'd stand, I'd sit in the back, I'd show up late, and uh, you know, and and if you and if you and if it was around Robin and you came to me, I would say, you know, my, my name is T.J. Alpash, and. Uh, because I couldn't say I was an alcoholic. I didn't believe I was an alcoholic. I, I, I tell you, I have a drinking problem, but I didn't think I was an alcoholic. And, you know, we, we all know those guys and gals. We know them. We see them. They come in. And, and nobody harassed me. Nobody said, you got to say you were an alcoholic. Nobody, nobody gave me a hard time. Uh, and, and I know now that nobody comes to AA who's not an alcoholic. Why would you come to AA if you weren't an alcoholic? Why would you come to AA if you weren't desperate? If you weren't desperate and you couldn't stop drinking, and 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 uh, and so I was that guy, but and 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 I, and I didn't want you to love me till you love till I love myself. I didn't want you to hug. I don't don't hug me. Don't hug me. Back off. You know I, I didn't. I wasn't going to join your group. I don't know. You know I, I I you know. But but you were amazing. You were amazing. You knew exactly what to do with me. You knew exactly what to do with me. You knew exactly what to say to me. I'm so I'm so grateful AA was here when I showed up because you knew exactly what to do with me. And you weren't a scared of me. You weren't a scared of me. You said, come on. And, 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 and George, I always remember George. George is a big guy like me. And, and he was just such a great guy and a nice guy. And he, and he used to say, come on in, kid. Come on in. Don't worry about it. Sit down. Don't worry about it. Get the fuck. Get the fuck. Get, sit down. Don't worry about it. Here, have some coffee. Relax, you'll be all right. And 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 I go. And, and he was cool, and he was mellow, and 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 uh, and I liked George. And so and you guys were saying to me, "Come on back, come on back." And there weren't a lot of people saying, "Come back to me." But these days, those days, you know, there were a lot of people saying, "Get out of here, get get no, get out of here." I'm calling nine one one. Get out of here. Uh, they were. I was getting a lot of that, but I wasn't getting a lot of. Come on back, man. It's good to see you, kid. It's good to see you. You'll be all right, man. You'll be all right. So, so I kept coming to meetings, and and I know now. I I was feeling it. I was feeling it. I didn't want what you had. I wasn't going to stop drinking, uh, but I was feeling something, and and the, the I was feeling love. I was feeling that power, that second step power, the power that restores you to sanity. I was feeling it, and and I kept coming back, and 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 I would come back, and and uh, my last year or so of drinking especially, people were punching me in the face all the time. I have no idea why, but people kept punching me in the face. Uh, I was in a blackout, so I didn't know how, how it happened or why it happened, but I was waking up with, with a broken nose twice, uh, with black eyes, and, 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 and I would have no idea how it happened. And, and, and I, then I'd show up at, at a meeting, and I remember George would go, hey, how you doing? Good times, huh? Good times. You having a good time out there, huh? <laughs> and I'd have a black eye on my nose and be like this. And go, good times, man. Party, man. You're... And I'd be like, oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, but but I, I kept coming back. And I, and I, and I came back because I could feel it. I could feel the power. And, and every time I went to a meeting, I, I, made, I thought to myself, maybe I don't have to die. Maybe this can work for me. It seems far-fetched. And maybe these people are telling the truth. Maybe they're, maybe they're for real. They're all saying it, and they're all talking. And I started listening a little bit to the story, to people's stories. And I was like, and, and like with Joanne and others, I was identifying. I was going, yeah, yeah, ooh, they, you know, ooh, I drink with her. We could, we could party together. She knows what she's talking about. That Joanne, she's crazy. I could hang out with her, you know, uh, you know. And, and I, and I, and, and I, I listen to, and I go. You know, that rich man, that rich McDean man, he's, he's crazy. We, we could party. And, 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 and he, he, you know, and he was here and he was sober. And, and, 
and it was working for him. And, and, I, and I'd leave the meeting thinking, maybe I don't have to die. Maybe this can work for me. Uh, but I didn't want to do what you did. I, it just seemed like too overwhelming. You know how you first come to meetings and they're talking that strange AA language, you know, they're talking about uh, uh, making amends and uh, doing inventories and, and, and that those, 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 those shades up there, God and God on them and all kinds of powers and stuff. And, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know what any of this means. It made no sense to me. But I kept coming to meetings because I felt it. I felt something. I felt hope, you know. I felt hope. Maybe I don't have to die. Maybe this can work for me. And so, and so, uh, you know, and, and I kept trying to, you know, I kept trying to drink. I kept trying to drink. I kept trying to, you know, I kept doing what we do. You know, I'm just going to drink beer. I'm just going to drink beer. I got it now. I'm just going to drink beer. Boy, I can drink a lot of beer. I can drink a lot of beer. And, and, and then after seven or eight beers, you might as well have a couple of shots of Johnny Walker, too, you know. And, and, uh, and then I, you know, and I can drink a lot of wine, too. And, and, uh, and I'm just going to drink vodka on the rocks because it's the orange juice that gives me the hangover. It's the orange juice full of sugar. It's no good for you. I'm just going to drink vodka on the rocks. And, and I'm going to have a glass of seltzer every other drink. See, when I'm at the bar, I'll have a vodka on the rocks and I'll have a seltzer on the rocks. I'll have a vodka. And this way I'll pace myself and I'll be fine. And I won't go into a blackout. And I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to smoke weed after I start drinking. Just before I start drinking. Because if I smoke weed after I start drinking, immediate blackout. Immediate blackout. So, so you know, all these, you know, and, and that, that, you know, that, uh, that powder stuff, that's out. That's out. I got to stay with, ooh, 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 no more, ooh, no more, no. And, and I tried everything I could. Everything I could. I, I go to meetings and I listen up and I try everything I could, and and uh, and and I still wind up on, wind up on the bathroom floor somewhere on the bathroom floor. Come out of blackout on the bathroom floor, and uh, the the book describes that state as pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I reached the point of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, and my last drunk wasn't my worst drunk, and, and uh, you know I. Uh, it's funny, I just heard it uh, just before COVID. I heard a woman say at uh, one of my favorite meetings, she goes, you know, it wasn't that bad to drunk my last drunk. I went downstairs and there was no blood on my car and everyone at the meeting laughed. And, and I said, if you understand that, you're an alcoholic. You know, because non-alcoholics would be like, what is she talking about? No blood, what does that mean? But everyone in that room laughed because we all knew what she meant. We all did that. And, and my last drunk, there was no blood on the car. I got home with a few dollars in my pocket. I was not in a blackout. I was, I'd been out to dinner with my girlfriend and a couple of, and a couple other people from work, my, my last girlfriend and a couple of people from work. And uh, I was drinking, you know, we got this fancy restaurant up in Dobbs Ferry, New York called the chart house. And we got to the restaurant and they said, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm sorry, your table's not ready yet. Would you like to wait at the bar? And I was swearing I wasn't going to drink that night. And I started drinking vodka on the rocks like it was water, like it was water. I was drinking it. I couldn't stop. And, and it was doing nothing to me. It was like it was like drinking water. Uh, and uh, and we had dinner. I didn't eat a whole lot. I pushed my food around a lot. And, and I dropped Abby off and, and I went home. I could have gone out. I had money in my pocket. I was not in a blackout. And I went home and I sat there and I knew I was done. You know that moment? You had that moment. It wasn't a white light moment. It was a it was a, a horrible, depressing moment where I, I knew I was done, and and the next day, uh, I, thank God for my job off to detox and rehab. I went, so so that was my drinking. How am I doing time wise? Uh, that was my drinking phase, and uh, and I, I got back. You know, I I, I I was fortunate enough to go to rehab. I had 28 days without a drink, and it scared the shit out of me. I looked around, and my life was a, a mess. It was a horror show. There was nobody left. I was barely hanging on. And, and I came back, and I went back to those same meetings that I that I had been to. And I went up to George, that big guy I talked about, and I said, George, which, do you do you think? And he, and he said, TJ, are you asking me to be a sponsor? And I went, yes, yes, yes. And he goes, so, so ask me. And, except he put another word in between there. He said, so uh, ask me. And, uh, and I said, George, would you be my sponsor? 
And he said, yeah, I will be your sponsor, but here's the deal. We're not, we're not going to argue. We're not going to debate. We're not going to, I don't want to know what you know, because you know how to make a Mai Tai. You know, you know where to cop an eight ball. That's what you know. You don't know how to live your life like a grown up. So I don't want to know what you, I don't want, I don't want to know what you think because your best thinking got you into a detox a couple of weeks ago. So we're not going to argue. We're just, this is what I do. If you want to do what I do, fine, I'll be your sponsor. But if you want to fight with me, I'm not going to fight with you. You, you, the door, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, and, and, and I was beat up enough, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I was beat up enough to say, George, whatever you say. And, and you know, if, if, you, if you knew we're coming back, that's the key. That's the key. Stop fighting it. Stop arguing with it. Stop thinking you know what you're doing. If you knew what you're doing, you wouldn't be here counting days. And just do what we do. Just do what we do. And, and I got here and I thought to myself, this is so simple-minded. You know, I remember saying to, 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 to George, I got issues, George. I have issues. And he said, you have more issues than Sports Illustrated. But I don't care about your issues. He says, don't work your progr- program or don't work your problems. Work your program. And I thought, I, I got problems. I got real problems. And he said, don't work your problems. Work your program and your problems will take care of themselves. And I thought, once again, that is so simple-minded. How can that be? And but I, I started doing what he what he suggested, what he what he told me to do. And he told me gentle, he wasn't mean or, or nasty, and I knew he loved me. And I started doing what he suggested that I do. And that was the key. I stopped trying to figure it out. I stopped trying to fight it. I stopped trying to argue. Uh, and and I, I was beat up enough to just say, okay. And he, you know, I went to a meeting every day. He said, he said, TJ, you're making coffee on Friday. We had the down to earth group, big meeting on Friday. Over 100 people, two big coffee pots. And he goes, you're making coffee. I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're making coffee. And I went, okay, I'm making coffee. And uh, and I made coffee. And the first couple of weeks, you know, like an alcoholic, I didn't, I don't know how to make coffee. I didn't ask anyone how to make coffee. I just poured like three chock full of nuts coffee things at each urn. And I set up the water and I set up. And those meetings, everybody shared. Everybody shared. Everyone was like, and finally, somebody came back to me and said, TJ, I think you put too much coffee in the coffee machine. And they showed me how to make coffee. And that was that was the best job I ever had. Uh, I got to know everyone. I got to talk to everyone. Uh, and I became a part of it. And I coasted on that. You know, but the obsession to drink and drug was lifted, and I coasted. And I, like I hey, said, I had, TJ, we have yes. three minutes left. Okay. I had big secrets. So, so I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to do the steps. And, and it took me almost three years to do a fourth and fifth step. And I only did it because I was going to die. And I knew it. And I was bottoming out again. And, and that truly started the path to freedom. Truly started the path to freedom. You know, when I, when you, if, if, you, if you want the results, you got to do the work. I started doing the work. And amazing things happened. And, and now I've been sober for a long time. And, and, and I have an amazing life. It's been it's been an amazing, it's been a, for, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I have a permanent progressive fatal disease. And I'm looking at all you people, and you have this disease too. We're not supposed to be sober. We're not supposed to be having a life. For, for up until 85 years ago, there was no hope for us. There was no hope for people like us. But there's hope now. And, and you got to do this the way it's set out. And if you do that, amazing things happen. And that's what happened to me. So I've been all over the world, you know, I've, I've ridden my motorcycle country. I've hot air ballooned over the Rockies. I've been all over the world. That job became a, a career, uh, and an amazing career. Uh, you know, I've fallen in love and out of love and in love and out of love. And in, yeah, anyway, it's a long story, but, but, I've, but, but I've had love in my life. I'm surrounded by people who love me and care about me everywhere. I remember I was sober a little while and somebody said at a meeting, I have, I have friends in Phoenix and I've never been to Phoenix. And I said, what's up with that? What the hell does that mean? And then I went to Phoenix, and and I and I went to a couple of meetings. And after the, the second meeting, some people came up to me and said, "TJ from the Bronx, we have a barbecue Friday. You want to go to the barbecue? Uh, uh, we'll pick you up. What hotel you at?" And I went, "Damn, I got friends in Phoenix who love me." Uh, the other story I always tell is, is a couple of years sober. I'm up in Toronto visiting my brother who was living with a young lady from Toronto. He goes to work during the during the day. I go to meetings. The last day I'm there, I'm walking down. Church Street, Toronto, and I ran into two people on the street I knew from meetings. 
and, and, uh, and, and I, oh, Mary, how are you? How was your dad? How's the operation? She goes, oh, thank you, TJ. I said, say a prayer. My brother's looking at me like this. A little while later, a guy across the street goes, yo, TJ from the Bronx. I'm like, Jimmy, what's up? Goes, when are you going home? It's a Friday. He goes, come back. I love you, man. And my brother looked at me and said, I've been here six years. I don't know anyone. You have six days. You're the freaking mayor. How do you do that? And I, and I said, drink heavily, lose everything, and you can have this too. I'm a part of it. I'm a part of, you know, we're coast to coast. We're, we're, we're international. I'm part of an international fellowship of love and service. And all I had to do was piss in my pants and fall on my face and get beat up and locked up. And I got to be a member of this international fellowship of love and service. It's an amazing thing. You guys who are newcomers or just coming back, hang in there. You get to be a part of this amazing fellowship. The people I love, the people in my life, the, the amazing people I've met, the people who are here for me. It's just unbelievable. Uh, but I have a permanent progressive fatal disease, and that doesn't change. And if I, if I step away from this, from this, from membership in this program, it can all come back to me. If I stop doing, I've never ever heard somebody say, you know, I was going to too many meetings and I picked up. I've never heard that. In 35 years, I've never heard that. But I've heard over and over again from people 5, 10, 20 years, 30 years sober, I stopped going to meetings and I picked up. And I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to stay plugged in. I'm a full-time member of AN. Full-time membership has full-time benefits. And full-time membership means I have a sponsor. He's here somewhere. I have a home group, Valhalla, the best group in Westchester. I have sponsees, and I'm plugged in, and I go to meetings, and I do what we do. And as a result, I get to enjoy this incredible life, this incredible life. So uh, it's, just great to, it's just great to see all your beautiful faces. I'm so glad that I have this, this in this time of, of COVID and, and, and isolation that I get to come on and look at all you beautiful people. Debbie, I'm watching you right now, Debbie. And and, uh, and and to be a part of this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rich. Thank you for asking me. And uh, and now I'll stop. I'll stop talking. My time is up. Thank you.